Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. Remember, my job is to help you get off the brink. And to do that, I have to help you see, feel, and think in new ways so that you can see the opportunities, the possibilities, and turn them into great innovations for yourself. Today, I have somebody very special to share with you. And I want you as listeners or as viewers to pay real close attention. Her name is Babette Ballinger. And you're seeing her on the screen if you are doing a video with us. Babette and I go back a long time. She and my husband actually went to college together. They didn't know it then that they would go live next door to each other at one point. But Babette is a very special lady. She's a chapter in my new book, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. And as you know, this book tells the story of 11 women, including myself, and Babette is in there. And our job in those stories is to help you become the best that you can be. It's a story about our journeys, how we overcame those hurdles, smashed the glass ceilings, sometimes made detours and all kinds of different kinds of moves in order to succeed, but we were never thwarted, even though the myth said, well, we don't do that. For Babette, she had a lot of myths to blow up as she smashed them. I'm going to let her tell you her story, and then we're going to talk about what's going on today, the things that we've learned, and how they can help you become the best that you can be. So, Babette, thank you for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to see you. It's always great to be with you, Andy. Tell our listeners about Babette Ballinger. I can read your bio, but I know your story is rich and full of twists and turns. And I, I, you know, it's hard to know how to introduce somebody as special as you are. So please tell the listeners about who are you, what you've done, and how you've come all through this journey, smashing myths all away, because that's what you did. Babette, please. Well, Basically, I was born in Memphis. Uh, actually, I was born in New York and moved to Memphis, Tennessee when I was four years old. And I had to learn how to speak like a Southern girl. Uh, I never quite fit in because in those days I had very black hair that was very curly and was absolutely devastated when my mother wouldn't roll my hair up in socks like the other girls. <laughs> I managed to get through the worst of Memphis. And what saved me was a teacher who was my art teacher. And I just fell in love with art. My mother took me to the Memphis Academy of Art. And there was a man who, my, his name was Michael Novarisi, who had been a uh, illustrator for the Memphis Commercial Appeal. And I don't know why, but he, his name, just resonated with me, and I decided I was going to be a fashion illustrator. I desperately wanted to go to school to study art. And, of course, my mother said, you can't go unless you're going to study art education because what else is there to do with art but to teach? I really didn't want to teach. And between Miss Keith, my mother, myself, we found Washington University in St. Louis. So I thought I was going to a northern school with a southern climate and a great art school. Uh, it turned out that it was really, St. Louis was really a southern city. And in 1960, uh, in the 60s, it was a very, uh, a city on the brink of a lot of change, um, none of uh, which was peaceful. I did, however, get into the art school and I managed to check the wrong box on my application. 
So instead of studying art, art education, commercial art, I checked fashion design because it looked like illustration to me. And thus, I spent the next four years doing pattern making and sewing. I hated sewing. I still hate sewing. But and I also like being in control. And when you're sewing, you're really not in control of much of anything. However, I did learn pattern making and I learned a lot of very fundamental skills, um, most, of, uh, most of which I used for many, many years. When I finally got out of St. Louis, there was only one place that I wanted to go, and that was New York City. And I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen there. Managed to walk down a street wearing my little tailoring project, wearing my little gloves, my Jackie uh, Kennedy pillbox hat. And, you know, all the guys who were shoveling the racks filled with clothing would yell at me, you know, Louie Linda, uh, et cetera. And I thought it was fabulous. I was so excited to be there. I managed to, I always had a fantastic portfolio and I could talk and I could talk my way into most anything. And my Southern accent certainly uh, helped me. So I managed to get a whole series of jobs uh, and uh, usually would keep them for a couple of weeks at best. And each time I had a new job, I learned a little and I learned what to do for the next job. So I didn't have to sit at the sewing machine sewing samples. I got to the point where I could do pattern making. I finally got hired to design children's wear and I would make all those little A-line dresses with uh, Sesame Street was just starting. So we had Sesame Street characters, Sesame Street purses, et cetera on it. Each job I would have for about a year and a half, I would usually get fired or suggested that I move on because I was usually smarter than the head designer. And I was usually um, got into things that wanted to know about everything and learn everything. And sometimes I would get into things I shouldn't be into. So I kept moving on, took a year off, traveled through Europe came home and uh, started doing what became the great love of my life, which was knitwear. What I loved about knitwear is I was really found a place I could be in control. Number one, I didn't have to sew. (laughs) Number two, I didn't have to do patterns. All I did is I could take a blank piece of paper. I could decide the colors I wanted. I could decide the pattern I wanted. I could draw it. And I could get it done for me. So I was in control. And that was the beginning of a great love for me. Um, After uh, years in New York, I decided I wanted to change. I moved to L.A. And that's when the 70s were happening and life really started to open up. And I got a taste of what I could do. I After, again, uh, being fired from a couple of jobs, I started learning a little bit about imports. And I walked into a place, a company, where it looked to me like women were being treated okay. And uh, 
which which was kind of a false narrative, but that's okay. <laughs> but um, it, some of the things that happened to women in the seventies today, they would have gone to jail. I mean, it was um, it was just as I look back from this perspective. In fact, it was outrageous. Women were treated with no respect. Young girls were hired who did it or did not know anything. The guys abused them, and I don't use the word lightly. And what was the worst part about it is that we as young girls didn't know what to do about it. We wanted a career. We wanted to be able to work. We loved the work, and we didn't know how to handle them. We were so naive. We also, most of all, didn't understand our own worth. One of my favorite stories in Rethink uh, of Andy's is when she uh, talks about the caveman who goes out and uh, uh, goes hunting all day and gets his you know, dinner, comes home, drags dinner in and says, hey, honey, I'm home. Cook it. right? And this poor woman has been out all day trying to mend the kids' clothes, trying to feed them, do the laundry, uh, you know, bake the bread. And now she's got to cook this boar for dinner. So, and and what does she do? She does it. I mean, that's the the shocking thing about us women. So um, I finally started, I started traveling. I started working for a company called Bronson of California. That was a very successful junior sportswear company. Actually, it was not successful, sorry. It was a company that was um, that was well managed. And I liked the guy who ran it very, very much. And basically, um, his brother hired me and said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know that my brother's going to love you. So I kind of was given that blank piece of paper again. And the thing that was interesting, uh, again, in retrospect about Bob Bronson, is he recognized talent and he knew how to get, to harness people working for him and get the most out of them. And that itself is a real, is a real talent. And that's something that I think that women don't develop within themselves. I think they think that they have to be the ones to do it and to do everything as opposed to be able to direct and drive and harness other talent. So I worked at Bronson for about six years. I took it uh, from an $8 million company to a $100 million company, which was kind of extraordinary. And uh, started traveling to the Orient and found that I was, in fact, had a really good head for business, but I had no training, didn't comprehend it, didn't understand it. Not, we didn't have one course at Washington University that uh, was for entrepreneurs. We didn't have a course in the fine arts school about business, which, if you think about it, is shocking because most of the people who graduated in fine arts have gone to work for themselves or started their own companies. Uh, the, uh, some of them are, have appreciable businesses, 
where uh, they were doing titles for movies. You know, I could go on and on. But it didn't occur to anyone in the art school that we needed some form of business background. And um, in later years, I was on a committee when the school was revamped. And that was one of the, I think my contribution was to insist that uh, it it be integrated uh, a lot more. Um, So at any rate, after uh, Bronson, which broke up over what? A woman. I was wondering you would tell the people. Excuse me, a girl. So it was the usual, the usual same story that happens frequently in creative businesses or in the garment industry or in any business. All of a sudden, the company run by men is successful. They figure they don't need the person or persons who built the company. So now they can bring the girlfriend in. So the girlfriend comes in, the partners are infuriated. Okay, they get angry. The girlfriend, of course, can do the work because you've built up the background and you've built up the infrastructure, but she can only do it for so long. So sooner or later, within a a two year period, possibly a little longer, possibly shorter, depending on the business, it falls apart. So, of course, it fell apart. So. In a lot less years than it took me to build the company to 100 million, they were able to destroy it. Wow. So at that point, uh, I was a a hot commodity. So everyone wanted to hire me. And, um, eh, you know, I, I couldn't rebuild what I had. I went to work for a couple of different people and it just wasn't great. Um, I, uh, but during that time, I worked for um, uh, one uh, 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 one guy who was a little bit or a lot nuts. And again, you have to remember the seventies was <laughs> really really nuts. And um, we did we we went to China. We came back. I had a phone call when I was um, overseas asking me to come back to New York and to set up a division for Bobby Brooks. I did, I moved back to New York. I set up a company within the first year and a half, we did about 54 million in business. Again, pretty extraordinary. And um, at that point, the guy that I worked with, who was a a really, Noel Drago, a fabulously creative individual uh, with phenomenal concept ideas, was replaced by someone who could run the business. So he did. He brought in his girlfriend, got rid of me, and uh, ran it into the that ground. Is your current, oh, my gosh. <laughs> the talent is gone. Oh, I know. It just, I mean, you know, it just, so I, w- I was really pretty pissed off. But during this period, I had had, when I had left Bronson, and here's where the story gets really interesting. I had someone who came to me and a friend of mine, Renee Tenner, who had been a designer for Outlander sweaters, getting very, very successful and really a fabulous human being, came to us and said, we'll put you in business. Tell us what you want to do, you and Babette. Well, we decided that was great and we really would love to do it. But 
um, Renee's husband said, girls, you don't know, girls. You don't know anything about business. He might refute the story, but why don't you find someone, a good accounting type, whatever. So someone introduced us to someone, et cetera, et cetera. And we found the accounting type and Renee and I could not stand him. And we decided we'd rather not be in business than have this jerk who really knew, you know, he had his, uh, I guess he's a CPA, whatever, it didn't matter, telling us what to do. So we did not do this. Well, they finally found someone else to do it. And again, they built basically control all the garment industry. And I can't remember if that was at the time period that Liz, they, they went to Liz Claiborne instead. And Liz had a husband who was in the garment industry, a salesman. And he said, fine, no problem. I'll be the brains. <laughs> all right. And Liz, you do the work. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm embellishing, but I don't think a lot. I don't think you're biased. So, Life experience, uh, a whole lot about the dynamics going on. But you know what? It's taken me actually all these years to be able to see this perspective clearly and to be a little bit angry about it. I, I or, or a lot angry about it. Uh, mostly on behalf of my daughter and my daughter-in-law. Yep. So uh, at that point, I'm in New York and I'm being, you know, the usual work for two years, build a business, get kicked around, went to another company. And during that period, um, was asked to start another business, a great job in the 80s, and uh, was told by someone who was on the board of both companies, uh, had the other company renege. Uh, so I would stay working for this other company for next to nothing. And I mean, it, it was outrageous. Again, should have sued him, but I had no idea that that was even possible. So I, I kept getting offers. I kept turning them down because they were, I thought, what, what do I know about business? I mean, how can I do this? So instead, Tommy Helfinger was hired. I mean, you, you know, um, it, it, and in, in retrospect, are you kidding me? I mean, this is so I did. I married and my husband said to me, I don't understand why you're not in your own business. Um, why would you let these people do it? It's just going to happen again. So um, some people came to me who owned a domestic factory and said, do you want to go into business with us? We'll give you. There are five, there'll be five partners. Now, again, if I had a brain, I would have heard the number five partners. But <laughs> so I started a company uh, called um, uh, Babetten Partners, an app name. <laughs> and we did domestic knitwear. And it worked for me at the, um, because we did, we had a, a a decent modicum of success. I made decent money. I worked for myself. I didn't have a lot of aggravation um, and um, did, did that for several years. And what I did learn there was I learned a little bit about computers 
Again, they were new. Uh, and I learned a lot about running a business. And my husband had a theater that he had built up in Rhinebeck, New York, in our barn. And I uh, was trying to handle the books. And I went to an accounting firm that someone had recommended who handled, I think, the Met um, or New York Symphony or I don't I don't remember. At any rate, um, they the guy said to me, why do you want to pay me twenty thousand dollars a year? You don't make that much, you know, in the theater. So he said, you look you sound like a smart lady. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I want you to get this book called Museum Accounting. I want you to spend a week reading it. And then I want you to call me or come see me and tell me if you want to pay me $20,000 a year to do your books. I thought, okay, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Got the book. I read it. And I thought, oh, my God, what have I been afraid of? <laughs> okay, accounting is just totally basic. But what they do, the men who started it, is they have a little bit of language in there to confuse you. So if you get a glossary, that's easy. And negative is positive. Positive is negative. And uh, what else do you need to know? <laughs> so from that point on, uh, it empowered me. Yes. And these guys empowered me. And um, I came back. I started working with the banks. I worked with the factors. And I ran a company and I ran it really well. And I realized that not only was I creative, but I had a great hand for business. So from that point on, Babette uh, uh, and Partners lasted about five years, lasted till I had my child. I got a nasty letter from my partners about the amount of time I had taken off. So <laughs> I didn't need them. Uh, and uh, I, um, went and I became a partner. This time I went from five to four of us. <laughs> and I became a partner with another woman who I'd known for many years. Well, uh, here we go again. Started a business, Ballinger Gold, a successful business at the time. And then she managed to... Uh, uh, to get involved with one of the other partners, something I did not expect because I viewed them from my perspective and thought, no way. <laughs> at any rate, uh, at that point, they decided it would be, they wanted to go from four partners to three. Uh, I wanted out of there. And um, uh, the people who owned guests, uh, knitwear came to me and they had a factory. They didn't know what to do with it. I had known one of them for quite some time and uh, really liked him. And they said, as long as you make money, we don't care what you do. So basically, uh, I started out in a little office in their showroom and uh, built the business that I had for about 20 years when they decided they wanted to, they were, you know, uh, I guess when guests went public, they started, they rolled in the knitwear into the big company and uh, got out of the garment industry and handed me, said, fine, uh, here's 
uh, the company, if you can make it happen, it's yours. Uh, at which point I went to the factors I had worked with. I went to the factor, uh, which was uh, the the company that I'd worked with at uh, American Networks. And I also went to the factor that I had worked with at the uh, Batten Partners. Both of them said to me, you ran a fantastic business. Tell us what you need. It's yours. I went to the factories I worked with and they said the same thing. Tell us what we need. We know what a great business you run, and it's yours. So uh, from that point on, I had my own company without any partners, <laughs> something I should have done a long time ago, and it was great. And um, I guess I must have had uh, versions of American Networks with them and then with it uh, on my own until um, – until uh, 2007, uh, which uh, time between everything that was happening in the world and whatever, I phased it out. Now, a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. Simon Associates is us, and we love to help you see, feel, and think in new ways to help you and your business grow. We specialize in applying the tools and methods of anthropology, but we're also entrepreneurs and business builders. And we like to share our experience and expertise with you. So if you're stalled or stuck or starting up, give us a buzz and let's see if we can help you as well. You can learn all about us at simonassociates.net and read my book, learn about it at andysimon.com. There's a free chapter you can download and a toolkit you'll find very helpful. We're on Amazon and you can buy it as a book, an ebook, or even an audible that I recorded myself. We look forward to hearing from you at simonassociates.net. Info at simonassociates.net is right to us. Now, back to our podcast. You know, Babette, your story, and I'll, I'll let you go back to finish it, but your story reflects America over the period of time. And, and exactly. In the book, I tried to set what you were doing in the context of our society because nobody is a true soloist, but between the, the sexual tendency, the, 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 the tension in there and the, the guy-gal manipulations that are going on, the movement of American manufacturing from 80% of it was made here in the country to zero was made here in this country. And we became the marketing and design part of it. And everything went over to China or Vietnam or Bangladesh, or wherever it was being made. Um, all the things that went on where you sold your business, your your products, and how you sold them for 20 years worked really well. Actually, for your whole career worked really well. And then everything began to change. Talk a little bit about the product, because we're moving to a period now where, hmm, are there products? Somebody called me from the West Coast. We work with companies that have to change and said to me, do you think people will buy clothing after this recession? And I said, I don't really know. She said, we make unique stuff and we sell it online. I said, well, I know they buy it online. The question is, what will they buy? And whether it's makeup or clothes to the office or anything, what? And that great cover of Business Week, where I never want to put on a jean again. I love my my warm up pants. Um, the times are changing. Talk a little bit about both your reflections on the times, as well as what you learned at the end as you began to move out of this. Well, you know, to me, that's the most interesting. The most interesting point about today that um, 
the what what I would do in my business is I would sit down with my team and we'd sit down and we'd say, okay, basically, what are we doing? What are we doing that works? What are we doing that doesn't work? And how do we see the future? And we had a lot of big things that happened. Uh, I, if you remember in the 80s, there were department stores, small department stores everywhere. I'm sure, I mean, people here in my little town of Bloomington talk, still talk about LSAers, Marshall Fields, all these wonderful stores. Now, uh, in 2020, we have one Macy's, which I would not be surprised to see closed. Um, and uh, so we've had this, this huge turnaround where, where the, the Chinese have taken over so many pieces of the business. Um, the, yet they live off our creativity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, or did, I think they're now uh, getting a lot of their own. But um, so we went through that period. All of a sudden, the stores start manufacturing on their own. Uh, again, the creativity just dried up. Uh, if you go into a Macy's, you'll see or you pick up uh, a catalog, whatever. You'll see. I, I still see the same stuff I did 20, 30 years ago. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, actually, the, I, so, the Ben Ballinger sweaters on eBay. I went surfing, oh, and I went. That that is true. But, <laughs> a little frightening, but it's true. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but as as we progressed through that period, we started seeing a narrowing. Uh, we could, uh, as you said, factories drove. We had to go overseas for more. No matter how well intentioned you were to do goods here, you could barely buy yarn. You could barely get it dyed. I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, we had a tariff system on goods coming in from overseas that changed the way we did things radically. NAFTA changed the way we did a lot of things. So, um, and now um, I I look at business today and the first thing that happened when Trump started in with all these crazy tariffs and up down and sideways all I can say to myself is thank God I don't have a business um and I would prior to the pandemic so many friends I know who had small businesses just got killed by this having to bring product in before a tariff went on, afterwards, you know, all, all the different games that you try to play or do. And uh, the inconsistency made it absolutely impossible. Then we had the pandemic and all of a sudden what retail outlets there were dried up. So where are we today? Okay. I think that there is, I personally am a product person. When it comes down to it, as much as I like business, as much as it challenges me, uh, it it has very specific parameters and there's things you can do and you can't do. You have in order to be in business, they're just basic functions 
You have to control your inventory. You have to know who you're selling goods for, and you have to be able to have the money to buy it, to inventory what you need, and to distribute it. So it, it's not real complicated. Um, it's a matter of understanding it. Um, but what you what you need to know and you need to understand and to have a feeling for is what people want now and what they want tomorrow. Yes. And be able to look at it from that perspective. Um, where we are right now is um, uh, fortunately it's unique mm-hmm. and hopefully it's going to change in the next six months. What has happened though has been a massive accelerated change in the way we see things and the way we do things. So let's take a look at people creativity. Okay. Etsy has gone from being a little tiny company to being a major player. People who are selling goods on Etsy now have good businesses and well-developed businesses. There are all kinds, you know, what does business need to be doing today? You either need to be in the business of selling information, selling services, or selling creativity. Yep. And that's it. And it depends on where you fit into any of those things. But if you're selling information, what's your information about? Your information is about where people are getting their creativity and where they're getting that creative fix. And no matter what is, everything is said and done, we all want to feel good. And we want whatever makes us feel good. So I think one of my favorite programs is Shark Tank. (laughs) Because there you have people who are enormously creative and who have come up with things that are unique. And a lot of them are becoming majorly successful because they have now, by going on Shark Tank, they have partners who can help them financially. And they also uh, can help them with sales. But you have some really interesting opportunities that are happening now. Um, There is going to be, there is major changes in where we live. There are going to be major changes in how we live. Okay. And what is that? What is going to be the end result? I personally think that uh, you take a small town like Bloomington, our real estate is, uh, there are no houses here. And this is happening across the country because people want to live in smaller towns, in smaller ways, in different ways. So what are they going to need and what are they going to want? They're going to want unique services. And when this is over, I think we're going to see all kinds of small businesses that are going to be terrific. Okay. Yeah, I don't get out of my sweatpants too often. But let me tell you something. I have a closet full of stuff that just looks old and dated to me. <laughs> now, I don't know what the next thing is, but I can guarantee you that the minute I'm able to go to a school of music, to go to a friend's house for dinner, I want out of those sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still want, I want my cups. 
my comfortable clothing, and I want to look good. It was fun this morning, Andy. I put on makeup for the first time in a while. <laughs> good. <laughs> really good. Of well, course, I'm now that my hair is gray, I have to find new colors. <laughs> so where, what am I going to do? I want a makeup consultant. So, you know, there are all these things, all these changes in how we do it. And what you have to do is get a pulse on those changes and see how they're going to apply to you and what, you, what you're doing. We're still going to want a lot of the convenience that we have right now. We're still going to, but I think what we all crave is that the touch. Yes. And that's what we're missing. And that's what we cannot wait to get back. So I think you're going to see uh, um, a lot of change in how we do things that will reflect that. What I love then you in your story, though, is how many times you've changed and changed and then changed. And you never thought they were mistakes. They were all learning situations. And each one cast you to the next stage with more learning. You never were fixed. You never got... I mean, I can hear that I, I, we, I can all compare kinds of notes on this, but I never heard in your story um, a frustration. A it was more of a realization about five partners to four partners to three partners. You were on your way to be an entrepreneur, which is what you are. And you're laughing because just listening to you now about the next stage, you're already reinventing life again, aren't you? Well, you know, Andy, change is exciting. Yeah, and it, it keeps you going. It keeps you, you know, now I like to say, okay, it keeps me young. Um, but the truth of the matter is that, uh, is that if you look at, you know, I, I sat down and I looked uh, at my stock portfolio and I said, you know, these half of these companies didn't exist uh, or certainly weren't in my radar six months, a year ago. Uh, and probably they won't, in six months from now. So um, there's there's so much change that's accelerated right now and how we look at things and how we do things. And sometimes you need a step back in your life, which is what a lot of those firings gave me. And um, I get bored easily. So, you know, when I built those companies just to keep doing the same old thing, I wanted the change. Well. You know, uh, some people really thrive on those and other people are frightened of it. Well, yeah. So uh, it, it's a real exciting time right now. Uh, and um, if you and to your point, which is the thing that makes you so unique and special, is that if you look historically at the different periods that we've all gone through, granted, we still have a lot of those cavemen around. But uh, <laughs> but there's so many all broken out of the house. I agree with you. It's um, you know, uh, the reason I wrote this book. I'll end with this so that we can let our listeners go back to their long walk in the woods, or maybe working out. Although fewer are doing that right now. But but it's a great time for us to rethink um, what women can be, what we can do. To your caveman story. Um, we have burst out of the kitchen, and, um, and the hardest thing now is child rearing without child care. But that too will come back in some different form. I think we're learning a whole lot about how kids can learn in different ways, and it, it's important. absolutely. 
But the whole thing here is to help others do better with the wisdom that's come from our life experiences. And so for the listeners, the reason I wrote the book, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, is that Babette could have been smashed. Every one of the women in there could have been smashed. Andy Kramer was told that nobody wants a lady lawyer. What did she do? She became a successful one. Stephanie Brilov was told by her parents not to be an entrepreneur. What did she do? Oh, she built a great business, sold it to care.com for 50 million, is helping others now. Every one of the women basically didn't pay attention to what people said women don't do. Instead, they figured out what they could do and how creatively they could solve the problems in front of them and became great at whatever they're doing. And so, you know, I I urge the listener to think through their own life. The reason for the podcast and the videos is to help others begin to see, feel, and think in new ways. I'll say that again, because that's my little mantra. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can feel it, you can decide it. And if the worst thing that happens is you make a mistake, like Babette learned, life is a, it's a lot of learnings. You know, I love your accounting story. I've got accountants for, for clients for four years now. And, and they help their clients do better, not by owning stuff, but by sharing it. And what you learned was that I could do this. I could do that. I could do this. And you became a success. Say, so of course I can, right? The entrepreneur's song is everyone says, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. And then you do it and they say, oh, that was obvious. <laughs> and you made it all obvious. So last thoughts for our listeners that you'd like to leave them with. Believe in yourself and believe in what you can do and look ahead. Look at what's around you and see what it can teach you. And listen to Babette and to the other women in the book. I'm going to do videos and audios for all of them so they can share the stories and then the book is, mm, here we go, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's fabulous. truly yeah. a gift that I hope to share because the gift of story is a gift one woman, one person gives to another and in their lives want to help them, in fact, become the best they can be. So I thank you for the time, Babette. Thank you for joining me today. It's been such fun. Always a pleasure. Bye. For all of you who come to On the Brink, thank you. Send us your emails at info at andysimon.com. And you can, you know, read a free chapter at andysimon.com. And these will all be up for you to listen to, share, and enjoy the journey. It's nothing else but a great journey. Bye-bye now.